Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Premier League All Access podcast with me, Sam Matterface. Alongside me, as always, TalkSport's Chief Football Correspondent, Alex Crook. And as usual, before a weekend of Premier League, we've got the former Chelsea and West Ham defender. It's Scott Minto. This is what is coming up. I think he needs to be careful because we know what happened last season with Arsenal. And I think Arsenal were playing better at this stage last season than, than Tottenham are at this. Forget the fact he's captain. Forget the fact that um, you know he signed the new contract and you want your players to be as fit as possible. Just for Rhys James, who we know is Chelsea through and through. Are the physios kind of waiting to see how long it's going to be before... He gets injured again. If they don't beat Burnley, then there's every chance they go into the international break having failed to win a game. And I think that's going to be a big problem for Bill Foley, the American owner who is jetting over. I want to make the case for Manchester United getting a result. I want to say they've won their last three games, but we all know that none of those performances have been convincing. I want to say that Man City maybe aren't firing on all cylinders at this moment in time, but they've still scored four goals away from home in the Champions League in midweek. Erling Haaland ominously getting back in his scoring groove. I was doing Newcastle and Arsenal in midweek. Newcastle off the pace, not quite clicking in the rain against Dortmund. The Gunners, excellent. Rice supreme. Scott, you were with me. They were very good, weren't they? Yeah, they were. Well, I think it was almost, it was a bit too, not too easy in the first half, but they were very, very comfortable. And you're thinking the second goal kills it. Suddenly 1-1 back in the game. But um, yeah, no, I thought, I thought actually uh, Declan Rice was superb. I mean, everyone talks about Gabriel Jesus, but um, I thought Declan Rice was just, without him, they wouldn't have won that game. It was a wonderful performance. Brilliant uh, goal on the stroke of half-time where uh, Jesus turns beautifully and feeds Martinelli and he scores a wonderful goal using his pace. Uh, well done to them for that. It's a big, big victory, I think, especially away from home. Um, Crook was at United. Just very quickly, a quick look back on on that. They weren't very good again, were they? It was bloody stressful, <laughs> I tell you that, especially when that last-minute penalty was given. But what a save um, from Anana. It, it wasn't a poor penalty. It was an excellent save. Hopefully, he can kick on now, obviously a bit more retribution for Harry Maguire, but just a really emotional occasion. The tributes outside Old Trafford, and I thought the way that Manchester United honoured Sir Bobby Charlton with a lone bagpiper, a throwback to when Sir Matt Busby sadly passed away, was absolutely superb, and it was a great occasion to be there. 
So I suppose now we have to look at Everton, don't we? Because I've been saying over the course of the last six months or so that there was a big possibility that this club were in serious trouble and that they could get a points deduction. I was convinced that the Premier League was going to go hard on them, but I didn't expect them to recommend a 12-point deduction, Crook. Uh, Everton say all is on order, but this is an indication that the Premier League clearly do not. This is a huge deduction. Yeah, it's a deduction that for me would probably sentence them to, to relegation to the championship. There's because no I doubt think about that, yeah. With a, with a level playing field, I think Sean Dyche has got more than enough to keep them up. I think they've actually produced some quite good performances recently, not least in that Merseyside derby up until Ashley Young's dismissal and Canate staying on. But we, we've known there's been problems behind the scene. I think the timing of this story being leaked is a little bit distasteful, bearing in mind that you've had the, the passing of Bill Kemright um, they could have waited a little bit. But I've spoken to a few high-up executives at other Premier League clubs, and while the Premier League are, are remaining pretty tight-lipped on exactly what they've recommended, I think the general feeling is that they need to come down hard on Everton to be a deterrent for clubs in the future. But it does raise the question, if Everton had deducted 12 points, if Manchester City are found guilty for all their alleged breaches, what on earth happens to them? Well, that, again, remains to be seen. But right at this moment in time, um, I think the focus is on not what aboutery, it's about Everton and whether or not they can survive in the Premier League. I think the fact that a 12-point deduction has been recommended, it's an independent panel that which will assess the case. So it's not necessarily 100% that that is what will happen, Scott. But can, what's it like being in a dressing room when you know that there is that hanging over you? No, it, it, it's not nice at all. I mean, it, you know, unless... Face it, Everton have had a couple of decent results, but there's still no way out of the waters yet, even without any any point deduction. So I think the pressure will just crank even more. And if, if they go into a minus, just psychologically for the fans, which then emits onto the players that we've seen, I don't think Everton players have really handled uh, the pressure of playing at Goodison Park and generally speaking, being in a relegation fight for very well for the last couple of seasons, even though they've just about survived. So this could be massive, especially if it is the full 12, which I don't think it will be the full 12, but even if it's six, it's still massive. OK, let's get into the weekend's Premier League action now. We're going to start on Friday night. There's a big Manchester derby, which we will get our teeth into, and Crook and I are going to be at that uh, together, which I'm really looking forward to. He's not, but I am looking forward to it, because I think it'll be a good occasion. Um, but on Friday night, uh, we start with red-hot Spurs making the trip across London. Friday Night Football returns to the TalkSport Network. It's Spurs' best start since they won the double in 1961. Sasson, edge of the area, skips past the challenge, right-footed into the far corner, and Tottenham Hotspur lead. Make no mistake, Spurs are good. Never seen ever in football, we've seen miracles happen before, but I think what they should be really nailing down on is this top four. They're going to be a danger, for real this season. They look like Super Spurs, and under Postacoglu, they look like football connoisseurs. Watch Mateta! Mateta's clear! Mateta! Progression is a top 10 finish. They've only done it once since returning back to the Premier League. I don't think I've seen Crystal Palace play as poorly as this all season. Newcastle have beat Palace by four goals tonight. Enjoy the moment, Spurs fans. Deservedly winning games of football and a look in the real deal. And Foster Coglu has made the best start to a Premier League career by any manager ever. ever. 
A record-breaking start for Spurs and Ange Postacoglu. No manager has ever picked up as many points. And it definitely is points in the uh, 23, 23 in their first nine uh, Premier League games. He told me on Monday night that as so long as there isn't a rule that state Spurs can't win the league, then they're in the title mix. Are they, Scott? You can't say that at the moment. I mean, and, and look, I, I love his positivity. Well, he said it. well he's not. I don't think I think he needs to be careful because we know what happened last season with Arsenal, and I think Arsenal were playing better at this stage last season than than Tottenham are at this. And look, you hear about people sort of saying, "Oh, they've been lucky with fixtures and they've been lucky with certain decisions," and obviously they were with the Luis Diaz goal. But they've shown they are massively improved, massively in terms of last season. Look, they've had a good start. Let's not get carried away. People were talking about Newcastle possibly even going on to win the Champions League after the PSG game. And then they've been brought back down to earth with, with a bit of a bang. So let's have a bit of reality here. It's a wonderful start. They're playing really good. They've got some very good individual players playing fantastically well. But at the, this moment in time, all they should be thinking about is trying to get in that top four, even top five, as we know, the fifth could do it for Champions League next season. If they're there come Christmas... Let's talk about it more. Yeah, talking about Christmas, Scott sounds like the kind of dad that tells his kids very early on that Santa is not real. Um, they still don't know yet, Sam, and they're 38. <laughs> um, uh, curmudgeonly, Scott. I quite like the idea that a manager turns around and says, well, why not? You know, not, 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 no, not yes, we will, but... Well, there's no rule why we can't win it, so let's try. There's, I think that's quite refreshing. It gives fans something to believe in. It was when he was asked about you know, fans getting carried away. He went, let them get carried away. That's what it's about. It's about believing in something and seeing something different. And they are different. They're different in every metric. They're completely different on the pitch to what they were last season when they were pragmatic and boring and they sat back and they, they gave the impetus to other teams. Now they are taking it by the scruff of the neck and they're making the game happen themselves. They weren't perfect on Monday night, Crook, but they they should beat Crystal Palace, shouldn't they? Yeah, especially if Palace play in, in the way they did at Newcastle last weekend. They weren't perfect, but they were still pretty comfortable, I, yeah. I felt. I never felt at any time that Fulham really had the weaponry to hurt them. I think there's some some cult heroes emerging. I thought Udogi, with the way that he pushed up into midfield and then Papsar filled in his uh, left-back slot was clearly a tactic from Ange Postacoglu and one that worked really well. He's quickly become a fan's favourite. They, they've fallen in love with James Madison, who was brilliant again. I think, obviously, the big concern is what happens if Son gets injured because I thought Richarlison was pretty poor on uh, on Monday night. And if he's asked to play as that sort of main goal provider, that could be an issue. And the same to be said for Madison. But why shouldn't they enjoy the ride? And I think the ride will go on a little bit longer yet because they've got this game and they've got Chelsea at home, obviously a, a big uh, rivalry between those two, but I'd fancy Spurs at home. And then they've got Wolves away. So certainly two of the next three they would see as winnable. And I think they'll be confident uh, with the momentum of getting something against Chelsea as well. And momentum can take you a long way. Look how far it took Arsenal last season, all the way to runners-up spot. And at one stage, they were title favourites. I'm I'm very pro Spurs and, and as being Chelsea, I shouldn't be saying that. I love the way Ange has come in and played the, the football. And yes, the, the fixtures have been kind, but all you can do is beat the teams in front of you. And for me, the real one to look at was the Arsenal game. And I thought they were superb. I thought at times Arsenal were superb and yet they stayed in the game. And actually, they could have gone on and won it. Um, so I, I think they've been brilliant. I really do. It's just a question of you see lots of people this early and, and it's all very well. And Angie's right. He's not saying yes. He's not saying no. But you just don't want to get the Spurs fans up there 
to be coming right down there at any time soon and everyone to laugh at them in the way that fans laughed at Arsenal, which I thought was wrong because I thought Arsenal were excellent last season. We're just early in the season. Brilliant start. Can they keep it going? Let's see by Christmas. OK, on to the rest of the weekend's action now. We head from South London to West London for our lunchtime kickoff. Chelsea versus Brentford is live on Talk Sports at 12.30 kickoff and Matterface and Minto double teaming. Yes, that's right. Wow. And not only are we double teaming, uh, we've also already, because we, you know, we, we're a little bit sad, we've already arranged our pre-match coffee. Uh, we're going to have a little routine. We're going to meet each other at the station. We're going to hold hands on the walk down Fulham Road. Um, <laughs> we're looking forward to this. Is This is great for us, early risers, isn't it, Scott? I didn't see the hold hands in the contract, but you know what? I love you, so let's do it. <laughs> um, the battle to become West London's number one team kicks off. Chelsea have got 12 points, Fulham 11, uh, Brentford 10. It's a big race because last year finished, Chelsea finished bottom of that pile. Um, so they're desperate to try and get back on top. I thought they were really good in the game against Arsenal last Saturday. They just let themselves down towards the end. They've lost a little bit of concentration. Um, however, it is worth pointing out that they did score from a penalty to get them off and underway, and it was a bit fluky the Mudrick goal as well. So, are they still going to find a way to score? What stop here? Don't listen. I actually think he meant it, of course, he did. <laughs> no, seriously. Uh, are you still concerned that the potency amongst the front line isn't quite there? Although, Breuer should be back this weekend. Yeah, look, I, I haven't been, as you well know, as negative about Chelsea this season as many others. I thought, mm. actually, they've been playing very well. They've been creating the chances. They've just not been putting them away. And yes, if you want to nitpick and, and look at it, you're right. You know, it was a bit of a lucky goal and and it was a penalty. But all you can, all Pochettino can do is keep putting in these good performances, keep setting up the plays to, to get themselves into the position and then trust that um, that someone will put the ball in the back of the net. I thought it was really interesting. Nicholas Jackson didn't start against Arsenal uh, and he pushed Conor Gallagher up without the ball and it was almost like an old-fashioned 4-4-2, which kind of worked. And then Arsenal actually did something similar in midweek against Sevilla without the ball. So I think they have lots of good players. I think the actual feeling within the training ground is, is decent. Um, and I think they would have taken a lot of credit and a lot of confidence out of that game against Arsenal. So... You know, I I don't think this is a great Brentford side this season. And I mean, it'd be famous last words. And I think it's an amazing job that Thomas Frank has done. But Chelsea have to win this game if they are to kick on. because They've got some very difficult games coming up. Uh, and that's the key point, isn't it? That this is the game now that they have to make sure they put points on the board in. And also they have to start competing with the bigger teams because otherwise they're going to find themselves in a really difficult position by the time they get to Christmas because they've got... You know, huge encounters, Tottenham and Manchester City are on the horizon very quickly after this. Um, talk to me about Cole Palmer. He has been really good for Chelsea so far. He's crucial probably to what they're going to achieve. Do you think that Manchester City will end up regretting him further down the line, Crook? I don't know about that. I think probably the fact they were willing to to let such a talented young player leave is a reflection of of how much quality they have at, at their disposal. And at this moment in time, I don't think we can say that Chelsea are competing with Man City. But what I think is to Chelsea's benefit is that Cole Palmer, having 
obviously been a big part of England winning the under-21 Euros, scoring the Community Shield, scoring the Super Cup final. I think he felt like he deserved the opportunity at Man City to prove he could be part of the starting eleven. He didn't get that chance. I think as a result of that, he's hungry. I think he's fired up. He has that bit of nastiness to his game that I think Chelsea are in need of because it's a, a very young side. And I think he is going to be a really key player. But there were some... There were some standout performances for Chelsea in that game against Arsenal. Kukurea, who's had a lot of stick, I think probably produced his best performance in a Chelsea shirt. Gusto on the other side. Raheem Sterling, with his pace, was a real problem. Actually nullified um, Arsenal's obvious threat on that left-hand side. So I think if they can take confidence from that and they can play anywhere near as well as that in this game, they'll win. Because Brentford, having seen them demolish Fulham away from home, they're only away win this season. I thought they would possibly be outside contenders for a European place. But they've not really kicked on from there. And I think this is a good game for Chelsea on the back of that Arsenal performance. They're still scoring goals though, aren't they, uh, Brentford? It's worth pointing out that no, uh, only three Premier League strike pairings have managed more goals this season than Burmo and Visser. So they're still putting the ball in the back of the net, which I think is is key in the absence of uh, Ivan Tony, which was always going to be a difficult thing to negotiate. They've had a few injuries, actually, which have, have cost them as well. They should have had a, an extra goal in the game that they did play well in last weekend against Burnley, where they were very good. Um, when Ayer was a judge to have been interfering with play, when I don't think he really was. That sort of gone under the radar a little bit. Um, but Scott and I, I'm sure we'll get into that more on Saturday. Um, they've got a new goalkeeper in Mark Flecken, who hasn't worked out as well. I don't know where um, they they saw the signs for that, uh, because uh, I sent Crook a video yesterday of a performance that, that he gave um, back in, oh, I think it was a couple of years ago, where he uh, conceded a goal in a German a lower league game um, because he went for a drink. I just went for a drink. He <laughs> just, just went for a drink. Now, this is not a joke. He he'd turned around, went to get his bottle and hadn't realised that the player developed before like, in front of him. I don't, I don't know why he hadn't realised it because it was quite a patient bit of build-up. And then all of a sudden he turned around as he was picking up his bottle. They played the ball into the box and someone just scored. <laughs> and it, We've all done like, that, haven't we? We've all popped off for a drink mid-shift and, you know. Well, I thought you were talking about He does it all the time. We were in the studio for five hours last week and he went off for a section to go and get himself some food and drink. Ridiculous. (laughs) Rhys James um, returned against Arsenal. But I wonder how much of a fitness concern we've got for his future career. And the reason I ask that is because I went through the statistics last night about how many games he has missed. He's missed 10 games this season already, right? He missed 25 games last season. The season before that, he missed 20 games. And the season before that, which was the first season he really played for Chelsea, he missed 10. I mean, that's a high degree of, of a high proportion of the matches that Chelsea play, isn't it? I mean, that is, that's a super concern, really. It is for him. Forget the fact he's captain. Forget the fact that, um, you know, he signed the new contract and you want your players to be as fit as possible. Just for Rhys James, who we know is Chelsea through and through. Um, it's, it is a worry, Sam. And I've thought this before without you bringing it up that, you know, how it, are the physios kind of waiting to see how long it's going to be before he gets injured again. And I'm pretty sure there'll be all kinds of sorts of prevention. You know, football nowadays, when, you know, back when I first started, you, you train, you go home, then you do whatever until the next day. Now he's got to be doing all kinds of exercises, staying in after, after, after training, even in the evening, doing certain things and looking after his body. Look, I mean, these 
the, I, I said even back then, my body sort of struggled to live up to to, to sort of the, the pace of the Premier League. And Rhys James is an absolute thoroughbred and, and his body is struggling to live up to it. So I don't really know what the answer is. Obviously, it's down to sports science. He needs to make sure, which I'm sure he is, he's 100% on it off the pitch as well as on it. I, I trust him in that. But it's a worry. It's a worry for him. Forget forget about Chelsea. Um, right, let's move uh, along to Arsenal against Sheffield United. Arsenal picking up their first away win in the Champions League this season midweek. Uh, I thought Gabriel Jesus was very good. Um, but I also thought Martinelli was excellent. I just thought the whole structure of the team really worked. One thing that wasn't so good was David Raya in goal. He almost scored an own goal in the last moment of the game, Crook. Yeah, listen, before you start with the, the usual jokes that you love to roll out on this podcast, we, ha- we haven't, we haven't said Rams it for ages, now. by the way. We haven't said anything for <laughs> ages. We haven't said it for what, at least, what, three weeks, Scott? We haven't even said anything. You've just bought it Probably. up now. But tell me if I'm wrong. When they signed David Raya, Mikel Arteta said, we're not necessarily going to have a number one. They're going to be competing with each other. I might rotate the goalkeepers. If you're Aaron Ramsdale, you're watching recent performances, you're watching that game at Chelsea, you're watching another big error that you got away with in midweek. Are you not knocking on Arteta's door and saying, come on, Gaffer, you said you you would rotate the goalkeepers, you'd pick on form. I deserve an opportunity. And of course, this is against his former club as well. I think he needs to be reinstated and I think most Arsenal fans would agree. I think if he did knock on uh, Arteta's door, it's quite likely that Mikel Arteta would say to him, but Aaron, I can see the rolling waves coming in off the horizon (laughs) and only when they come to the shore will I think about making a change. I mean, I don't know that that would be a direct quote, but I think it'd be something like that. Do you know what? He's just better off saying he's my number one. You know, everything that we're seeing is saying that David Raya can make mistake after mistake after mistake and, and he will stay the number one. And I understand what Arteta's saying. We're, we're talking about the waves. This is a long-term you know, buy and they're going to go through the, the short-term blip. But this is, this is something, I'm afraid you've got to tell your mate Ramo um, Crookie, that has been in the, in, the, in the offing for years. I mean, you know, the goalkeeping coach in Yaki Kanya was at Brentford. He was looking at trying to sort of bring them in, I think when Emi Martinez left. So this is something that's been happening, you know, in in the pipeline for a long time. There is no way, no way that unless it's horrendous mistakes that David Raya is going to be dropped. And I really feel for Aaron Ramsdale. I didn't think that the move needed to be made in the first place. I think Ramsdale is an excellent goalkeeper. But if we are where we are now, David Raya is not getting dropped. He should move, right? Absolutely. But he's not going to this year. They won't let him. So he, he's stuck, really, because he's ahead of the Euros, where he wants to be first-choice England goalkeeper. And he's not even first-choice Arsenal goalkeeper. But there was no way, no way. He signed a contract in the last season. There's no way that Arsenal are going to let him go in January. Zero chance. The one, the one thing I will say about him being backup goalkeeper, not only at Arsenal, but at um, England as well, is that I don't think he ever expects to be the England number one at this moment in time. Maybe in the future, but ro- not right now, especially not no. ahead of the European Championships. But the one thing I think he's always been given good credit for is the fact that he's brilliant around um, the oh. squad. He's never caused any fuss. He's always helped. And he's a, gr- a big personality, which is one, one of the reasons why I think they'll, they'll take him even if he isn't um, the number one at Arsenal. Because I think, one, they're not planning on making a change. Two, he is a very good goalkeeper. And three, he's an excellent tourist. So, um, you know, I mean, as Crook knows, I mean, obviously from the golf tours, et cetera, et cetera. Um, <laughs> All made what up. happens there. 
We'll see what happens there. Um, Sheffield United have taken one point from a possible 27 this season. (laughs) Um, No wonder they're still marooned to the bottom of the table. No one gives them a prayer. Um, Would they have gained any confidence from that game against Manchester United last Saturday? A little bit. They they made themselves difficult to beat. They had opportunities, particularly in that first half, to to really cause Manchester United problems. But they've got issues at both ends, haven't they? They've got their two most influential defenders who are not coming back anytime soon due to injury. They're struggling to put the ball in the back of the net. They've got some huge games coming up after this one. They've got Wolves at home. Then they go to Brighton. You can ride that off. Bournemouth at home and then Burnley away. Those three games, I think, are going to tell us if they've got any chance of picking up a win. There's a lot of the games, a lot of the games, obviously by the Arsenal one, uh, sorry, Newcastle one, where they've been in. They've been in it. Mm. So they, they should take a lot of confidence. They're not They're not cut adrift as yet. There's a lot of teams down there not playing well with Everton possible dropping points. They've got to hang in there confidence-wise. That's the only thing that Sheffield United fans, I'm sure, will be uh, praying for at this moment in time is that there is a huge points deduction from Everton because then they'll they'll be struggling and scrapping around with them too. Uh, and the more that are involved in it, the better. Um, I mentioned that they've conceded a lot of goals, though. I mean, they've conceded twice in six of their nine league games, including against Manchester United, Manchester City and Tottenham. Maybe a two-goal win is in the offing for Arsenal. A relegation six-pointer definitely at the Vitality Stadium. Bournemouth against Burnley live on TalkSport 2, three o'clock on Saturday. It's a big game. And Donny Riola, now the favourite to be the first Premier League manager sacked. Um, there were reports that, that was going to happen earlier in the week and very quickly we found out that that wasn't going to be the case for now. However, losing to Burnley and the fire uh, may well turn on him once again, Crook. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> they're not dressing it up at the vitality as, as do or die, but I think in some ways it is, not necessarily because of this game, but because of what they've got afterwards. They've got Liverpool in the cup in midweek, then they go to Man City, then they've got Newcastle at home. So if they don't beat Burnley, then there's every chance they go into the international break having failed to win a game. And I think that's going to be a big problem for Bill Foley, the American owner who is jetting over for this weekend. He's staying for the Liverpool game as well. That was a pre-planned trip, so we shouldn't read too much into that. But I think he has to win this game, Areola. Otherwise, I think Bill Foley will have a big decision to make, despite the fact that, as we understand it, the powers that be, and the fans, by the way, are standing Mm. by Areola. It's really interesting. And I know, Sam, you'll say it's not necessarily conclusive evidence, but the reaction to my tweet in the week that the the powers that be are standing by Areola and he'll be in the dugout on Saturday, far more positive than a lot of what was being aimed at Gary O'Neill on social media at the end of last season, which I find quite bizarre given their yes, run of when, results when, and when performances. You me that tweet, though, there were just two people that had uh, <laughs> responded to it. So um, it wasn't exactly a, a great sort of sample size. However, I do I, I take your point that the, the way that Gary was... I don't know. The way that Gary was sort of viewed by the, the Bournemouth fans was very different to the way that Iriola has been viewed, despite the fact that Iriola clearly is performing much, much worse. Um Bill Foley, though, he knows what he's doing. He, he he knew that this was the best time to fly in. They're playing Burnley, and Burnley are absolutely dreadful, aren't they? <laughs> um, they've conceded 23 goals in nine league games so far this season. Um, I don't understand why it's gone so wrong, really, to be honest with you, because many tip them for big things. They were given a pass because of a tough fixture list to start with. They've been pummeled by Brentford last time out. They look so far off the pace. It's unreal, Scott. I mean, how on earth... I mean, Bournemouth will fancy their chances here, won't they? 
Well, well, look, just just briefly on Bournemouth, um, they had a really difficult start to the season, but then they had these three games, you know, Wolves, um, Everton and and this one here. And if they don't pick up any point, Sam, you know, that that is big, big problems because as, as Crookie rightly says, you know, you look into what they've got in Liverpool in the Cup, then Man City, Newcastle, can't see them to picking up a point before the international break. That That's, that's a long time before not getting a win. Um, so actually, this is the perfect game for both teams if they're going to pick up points. Burnley, I, I didn't see this coming. You know, we didn't mention them at the start of the season, did we? Um, saying that, you know, they'd be in big trouble for for relegation. But at this moment in time, they, they really are. They're, they're a shadow of the side. Obviously, it's a massive step up from the championship. But the shadow of the side has been a few changes. People have come in. They're not adjusting to the Premier League. They're conceding goals. Uh, they're not scoring as many as they should. It's just the worst possible way. And look, as I say, Brentford weren't playing particularly well. That was their first home win all season. And yet it seems like at the moment, people want to be playing Burnley if they are going to be, um, you know, wanted to get three points. They're, they're not putting up as much of a fight as someone like Sheffield United who were rock bottom. Scary. I'm mad to think that uh, Vincent Company was linked with uh, the jobs at Spurs and, and Chelsea before uh, he got the, uh, well, he decided to stay at Burnley and sign a new contract. On to a busy Sunday now, headlined by one of the most anticipated fixtures of any Premier League season. It is, of course, West Ham against Everton. Oh no, sorry. It's the Manchester <laughs> Derby and we'll be there. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Manchester United versus Manchester City, a win for both sides in midweek in the Champions League, albeit in very different circumstances. I think Manchester United always seem to raise their self for this fixture. And I always say that sometimes in these Manchester derbies, I don't know if you can go historically and Crook will sort of back me up on this, that even when Manchester City were really crap, like they'd raise themselves for the derby and occasionally give Fergie a bloody note, occasionally. You know, and, it, and similarly, like with Manchester United, since Manchester City have been more dominant, they've come up with the odd, the odd victory, usually on the counter-attack. Usually there's a bit of fortune uh, to it. There was a bit of fortune to it last year with the offside goal, which was given, although we can debate that forever. Um, but I have not much confidence that when I go to Old Trafford this weekend, that Manchester United are going to get anything from the game. Convince me otherwise, Crook. 
Oh, this is a horrible game for me to preview, to be honest, because I want to make the case for Manchester United getting a result. I want to say they've won their last three games, but we all know that none of those performances have been convincing. I want to say that Man City maybe aren't firing on all cylinders at this moment in time, but they've still scored four goals away from home in the Champions League in midweek. Erling Haaland ominously getting back in his scoring groove. It's very difficult. If, if you offered me a point now as a Manchester United fan, I think I'd probably bite your hand off. But I'd like to think, at the very least, that United will be more competitive going into this game than maybe they would have been a month ago when morale was at a really low ebb. I was right behind the goal when Anana saved that penalty the other night, the way he was mobbed by his teammates and some of the substitutes, the reaction on the bench suggested a group of players who are still together and still fighting for the badge. And obviously the suggestion in some quarters has been that isn't the case this season. So I don't think they'll get battered is as confident a prediction as I can make. Um, Harry Maguire's playing well. The redemption story is a nice one. Even Crook is uh, putting on the beepers. Beep, 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 beep. Uh, reversing. Uh, huge vehicle. Reversing. Beep, beep, beep. Um it's important that he starts this game, isn't it, really? Because Manchester United are in a situation where defensively they still look a little bit open to me. I mean, I, you and I only had the game on in the corner as we were doing the uh, the Arsenal game the other night, Scott, but we could see wave after wave of Copenhagen chance. Yeah, there was a stat that came up, wasn't it, after about 20 minutes about how many chances they'd had compared to, to United and and they still do look really open. And I, I mentioned on on Talksport um, that I wanted to just touch the uh, touch on Harry Maguire, who I think even before the World Cup, I was saying should be in the side. And um, I remember doing a gig at, for, for Ladbrokes, and I said, "Are oh, you asking me to pick the first eleven? You're going to get me booed." I'd have Harry Maguire boo. Listen, the guy is he. Listen, he's he's not the best in terms of athleticism but he's a proper pro. He's very good on the ball. He can position himself. He can be a leader, I believe. Maybe not a Manchester United leader in the likes of Brian Robson and Roy Keane. But the bottom line is this season, United have been conceding goals for fun and he's been nowhere near the side. And since they've come, since he's come in, they seem to be a lot better. I'm not going to say they're great, but a lot better. So I'm really pleased for him that he's in the side. And I think, quite simply, United are a better side right now. I don't know what it says about United with Maguire in it. So I'm really pleased he's doing well. Um, in terms of the way that they're lining up this moment in time, they've had a, a serious injury issue at left-back. Sergi Reguillon is back now and he's, he's playing back in that in that position. Amrabat's been able to play in his more natural position of central midfield. But he, he, he was everybody's favourite midfielder at the World Cup, but he hasn't really hit the heights yet. Listen, I thought he played really well in the game against Crystal Palace where he played the sort of hybrid left-back central midfield position. But actually that Crystal Palace um, performance is probably telling us a little bit more about Manchester United and the fact that they were up against a team that didn't really fancy it and just turned up just to sort of, you know, get there and get out again on that particular day. Uh, and and when, since then, they've been engaged properly by the opposition and, and he has struggled a little bit. Yeah, I think he actually played okay in the first half on uh, on Tuesday night. Um, I was a bit surprised that he was the one who was hooked at half-time. The change worked because Christian Eriksen came on and had a really positive impact on the game going forward. And you could probably make the case that actually against Copenhagen, uh, with their limited ability, you didn't need sort of two defensive midfielders. 
you do need two defensive midfielders against Manchester City is the issue because I think Ericsson probably in that second half on form has played his way into the team, but I'm just not convinced that this is the game for him. So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm a fan of Amrabat. I, I think, you know, maybe he lacks a bit of dynamism, but I think in this type of game, if, if you want someone to come in and try and spoil it in midfield, then I would probably pick him. It's really interesting looking at the average positions from the game, actually, and how lopsided Manchester United were in the first half and then what happens when the substitutions come on and they're very lopsided the other way in the second half because they bring on players who have got a tendency to go on the other side. And and, and it did feel as if, as if it was a lopsided performance once again. They've got to get all those distances right. They've got to make sure that they get... Um, the communication right, especially in midfield, because if they don't get the blend right, then City will have a field day. I do worry about Diego Dallo at right back this weekend, because although he's actually played okay, scored a very good goal recently, he, he up against Doku, anyone's going to have a real problem. And Doku has been absolutely superb, and he's a real talent. One thing that concerned me, and I was going to mention this on Monday, and we didn't get round to it, was what it means for Jack Grealish. I mean, Jack Grealish, who... Since the start of the, the last season, has played maybe his best football that he's ever played. Got into the team in midweek. Yes, I get that. But is he under threat really because of Doku's arrival now and, and the way that Doku has uh, has settled, or is it just good competition for him and it's going to make him raise him, his game even further? Well, for, from a Man City and Pep Guardiola point of view, it's it's great competition. But from Jack Grealish's point of view, I, look, if the Champions League final was tomorrow and they were in it, I play Doku. It's as simple as that. And I, and I feel for Jack because we all want him to do well. I think he's a great guy whenever I've met him. Um, sometimes goes a little bit overboard um, off the pitch. But, you know, I think he's a brilliant talent. But Doku is the full... If I'm a fullback now, I wouldn't want to face either of them, but I'd want to least face Doku. So, absolutely. But I think you look at what how good uh, City were last week against Brighton. I mean, 2-1 doesn't tell the full story. That, that could have been 4-0 before Brighton even got their goal. Mm. So I think you, you're right. United do seem to lift themselves against City. I think the best thing that we can say from a United point of view is what Crookie's already said. They won't get hammered. But if City play to anything how they can, United are literally papering over the cracks of the results they've got. There's an absolutely massive difference between these two teams. If both play to how they're playing normally, this should be a comfortable City win. Should. Yeah, Doku played on the right-hand side in midweek. The left-hand side is his natural area, and that's where he played against West Ham. Did very well in his debut. It's where he played against Brighton. He's uh, an exquisite player. And you just wonder, with all the time that Pepper's spent getting the best out of Jack Grealish, whether or not in the end he's going to end up replacing him anyway, uh, which would be a real shame for England. I hope it actually just elevates Grealish's game. No Manuel Akanji because he's suspended this weekend. So it will mean a little bit of a rejig in defence. What happens there? How, how, how will they deal with that, Scott, do you think? Well, is Ake okay? I mean, I would have thought that um, he'll probably come in to, to left-back and then Guardiola will move across. Obviously, you know, I think you've got... I'm not sure of the, the fitness stuff of Ruben Diaz. They've only got John's people back. like Walker, Guardiola, Stones to come in from midweek. I mean, the squad's there a little light, What a problem. What a problem for go. Pep Guardiola. There you go. So like it's going to be a I, real head-scratcher, actually. Yeah, and, and look, you know, what you talk about Jack from a personal point of view... Um, it, he, he'd be slightly concerned, but from a Man City point of view, they have a brilliant squad. One person's out, another one comes in. They don't have a problem with that. And that's obviously what any Manchester City fan and certainly Pep Guardiola will want. 
does show you the difference between the two, doesn't it? Just how sort of well-constructed that Manchester City squad is and how badly the Manchester United squad has been put together over several years. You have to ask the question, the distance between the two, has it got bigger or smaller in the Ten Hag era? Crook? Well, that's a brilliant question. Um, last season, it clearly got smaller than the year before because United finished much closer to Manchester City. This season, at the moment, United seems to have regressed. There have been some mitigating circumstances, the number of injuries, the number of new signings who are taking a bit of time to find their feet. Mason Mount couldn't even get on the pitch again in midweek. It'd be interesting to know what's going through his head at this moment in time. But City, for all their financial muscle, they don't often get a signing wrong, do they? They're probably the, the highest profile sign they've got wrong is Calvin Phillips, but they can afford to spend 50 million quid on a player that doesn't work out because they've got so much talent. If United spend 50 million quid on a player and it doesn't work out, they're in trouble. Yes, indeed. Are they going to be in trouble this weekend? What's your score prediction? 1 1. See, I know for a fact just by looking at you as you were making that decision that that was that wasn't even heart rolling head. It was just oh, I've got to, I've got to save face somewhere somehow. Um, Scott, that was the ultimate example of heart rolling head. Um, look, I do think it will be closer than, than perhaps it should because it's a Manchester derby. But I, I think City will it'll be close for sixty minutes and it'll end up being three one. Yeah, I think they'll uh, they'll enjoy their day in Manchester City at the weekend. What about West Ham against Everton? Turbulent week for Everton. And it'll be an emotional day on Sunday as well because of the passing of Bill Kenwright. I mean, it's not going to be as emotional as it will be when they go back to uh, Goodison Park. I mean, I say emotional. Listen, Jenny Seagrove, was, his partner, was on with Jim White earlier in the week. That was an emotional interview and it was, it was brilliantly conducted by Jim. And if you get the opportunity to listen to it, then please do because it was... It was quite touching, really. But there's, you know, there's still a lot of Everton fans that are not great fans and won't ever be great fans of Bill Kenwright. I hope they can put that to the side for the first time that they get to pay tribute to him and realise that actually, overall, he only ever wanted to do the best for the club. There was, you know, I think you might have been upset about the way that things turned out. You may have been upset about... Um, some of the decisions that were made, but ultimately, I think he wanted to. He wanted Everton to be a success. That was what he dreamt of, and he never really quite achieved it. I mean, the closest they ever got to success was, was under David Moyes, and then under Roberto Martinez when they did quite well and got into Europe. And I, I still think, you know, that how did that relationship come to an end? How did they allow that to get to to a point where they let? Roberto go because since then it's been sort of it's been a very dodgy path I'm I'm afraid um so uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do as a club in tribute to, to Bill Kenwright over the course of the next few weeks um what are they going to do in terms of this game against West Ham because I thought actually they were all right in the game against Liverpool they didn't create any chances apart from the one in the first few minutes but they certainly looked a little bit more solid. Can they keep West Ham at bay? I think the fact that West Ham are playing in Europe on Thursday night gives them reason to be optimistic because they've had an incredible time of it in Europe, West Ham. And David Moyes has taken the European competitions very seriously in terms of squad selection. So obviously it's a short turnaround from that trip to Athens. And, and I think you're right, I mentioned it earlier. I, I think until the sending off that clearly changed the game, and even after that, Everton showed a little bit of determination to dig in and, and they were very much in it. 
and they've done okay away from home in recent weeks. I was at Villa Park. Okay, both teams made six changes for that League Cup tie, but Everton deserved to win. It's a brilliant victory at Brentford before that. They obviously drew 2-2 at Sheffield United, which was a really competitive game that they could have won. So weirdly, since they got thrashed at Villa in their first away game of the season, they've actually played better on the road um, than they have at home. So I, I think they've got a chance because of that short turnaround and because they'll take confidence from the Merseyside derby. I think West Ham will still win, but I'm not sure they'll blow them away. Yeah, okay. I think I'm going to go for a draw in this game um, because uh, I think Everton will just dig in and get something out of it. Um, Crystal Palace Tottenham is Friday night live on Talk Sport. Uh, Saturday lunchtime, Scott and I will be at Chelsea against Brentford. Uh, game day live takes you round the grounds with Adrian Durham, Ray Parler, Mickey Gray, Mick McCarthy as well. While on Talk Sport 2, we bring you Bournemouth against Burnley. Uh, that is a huge one. And then on Sunday, live from Old Trafford. All the goals as they go in from the games involving Liverpool, Nottingham Forest, West Ham and Everton and beyond. There's a huge number of games on Sunday and we will be at the Manchester Derby, Crook and I. And the podcast, when you wake up on Monday morning, will come from Old Trafford as well. We're going to, it's not Old Trafford, it's, it's, it's hotel football we're doing it from with a little bit of an audience as well on Sunday night. So we're very much looking forward to that. Well, I am. I think Crook is absolutely um, fearing the worst, but you never know. Things will end up going your way eventually. It just might not be this weekend. Uh, that's it from us. Thanks for joining us, giving us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcast. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.